Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for uh, another one. Finally, after 80 episodes getting to Epica, I am shocked that it took this long, but alas, here we are. Uh, but before we get to Epica, Chris, how are you, bud? Well, I'm doing well. I uh, I enjoyed our uh, chat with um, Stefan from Falconer. I thought that was uh, a nice... Uh, a nice get for us, and and again, thanks to Justin Westmoreland for setting that up. And uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to finally getting to talk about um, Epica. And uh, it's kind of funny; I've had such a hard time trying to decide who uh, which album by them we would do, and it just kind of fell into my lap by you uh, not <laughs> not recognizing this album on your your top fifty <laughs> list. So it's that that's of, uh, I think part of the reason I didn't choose them earlier because i love this band but choosing one album is kind of tough and it's not that one doesn't it's not that there aren't some that i like better than others they don't really have a magnum opus or a masterpiece if you will i think that they can all be considered great in their own way even this one which is good uh but we'll 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 get there in a little bit a couple of uh, a couple of new things that i I think are just kind of worth mentioning and and one one album that you refresh my recollection of from almost a decade ago that I completely forgot about. We'll get there in a second. But uh, Brazilian uh, folk metal band Tuatha de Danan released their new album of Trovas and Spells. It's kind of a compilation disc um, that I I thought uh, was worth mentioning. I kind of didn't hear this when it came out, but it's just like – it's got some live tracks. It's got some uh, basically just a, a bunch of B-sides and other tracks from, from this band. If you've never heard this band, I recommend checking it out. It is definitely heavy on the folk and Celtic influences, but they're a really interesting interesting band. Uh, it came out, I think, in December of last year, but uh, interesting stuff. And, and if you've never heard them, um, definitely something different. And then we we kind of swapped albums you and I this year this week. I, I sent you uh, the new album by Eternal Ascent called Reclamation, and I'll, I'll let you take it away from there. Oh my god, um, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I, it's where did this come from? If you didn't tell me that they were from New York, I would have assumed that they were from Europe. Um, it, it's this just um, the album's called Reclamation, and. It, um, it uh, came out um, Janu- in January, late January, and um, it's just like wonderful symphonic power metal, really the kind of stuff that I gravitate towards. And the um, the vocals, w- uh, which were done by Mark Bellafato, um, who, uh, who also did the keyboards and the drums, and Christian Rush did the, the guitars and the backing vocals. This was pretty much a, a, a two-person uh, job here um but the vocals were I, I said to you it reminded me of like a cross between zach stevens and and jonas heidgert from dragonland of all of all things um but man i, I enjoyed the hell out of this like this is just uh, my kind of thing and um if you like symphonic power metal um this 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 is right up right up my alley and it'd be right up yours definitely you uh, you definitely hit the nail on the head recommending this to me because this was well I just I was blown away on the first uh, the first listen great stuff I heard this and I liked it I liked it quite a bit and I'm I'm going to go back to it but when I heard it I immediately said to myself you are going to just absolutely eat this up having seen 
hundreds of shows in New York. I have not seen these guys play live. I don't know even know if it's something that they do, being that it's kind of a two-piece project. They should. I would love to see them open for some of the you know some of the bands that come through New York City. Um, but I haven't yet. Uh, here's hoping that I, I do in the future. But this is a really promising start for them, and I, I look forward to hearing more. So I, I sent you this this power metal album, and you kind of unprompted, unsolicited sent me a prog album that I completely forgot about. Um, there was a band that came out with an album back in 2012 called Art by Numbers. And uh, the album is called Reticence the Musical. And it actually, um, it's funny because I, at the time, I think I listened to this once 10 years ago. I never listened to it again. I'm not saying it didn't click, but I guess I didn't remember it. I'll leave it at that. And and going back to it, uh, this was a real pleasant surprise. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to the entire thing, but I'm, I'm going to. I have it like kind of loaded on my phone for my for my commute to work tomorrow. Um, but really good stuff. Um, kind of a forgotten gem that's like an underground thing because I don't ever remember hearing anyone speak about this album. Yeah, the props to well, not to rhyme, but props to Nops. Um, he uh, he brought this to my attention earlier in the week, and um, I only got a chance to listen to one song, which was uh, "The Man in the Box," which I think they made a music video for. But um, I really liked it, and um, apparently, it was done by members of um, Artificial Language, who just recently had to pull out of their Prog Power USA performance. But um, I think that's how. Nops kind of heard about it. Um, but, um, yeah, it's definitely that kind of like funky kind of, uh, prog, prog kind of stuff that I tend to enjoy. Um, and I was a fan and still I'm a fan of, uh, of the band artificial, um, I keep wanting to say artificial intelligence. Thanks, Nathan. Um, artificial, <laughs> artificial language. Um, I was actually pretty bummed to see them, um, pulling out of prog power because i would have liked to have seen them but uh yeah i'm gonna have to give this whole album a listen to because that one song that i heard uh was was quite good and yeah. um oh yeah um was that it um yeah that's it for me i think else? um unless you have anything else yeah i did um so tomorrow night i am going to uh be seeing this a band called uh stavo um at a brewery here in Rochester and uh, they are a uh, prog rock prog metal band. That's actually kind of local to the area. And they're doing this little bit of a, a show where they're kind of mixing up some uh, cover songs with some of their original material. And, and I sat down uh, this morning and I just, uh, I downloaded, they had um, an EP, a single and a full length album. A full length album is called uh, void of polarity. 12 12 or 11 11 i should say um and i really liked it um it, they have a uh, a lovely uh female vocalist which it, it's interesting because you don't hear this kind of dream theater style prog with a female vocalist very often so i thought that was a nice change but um it got me excited to see them um and uh, i'll definitely be uh, reporting on the next episode about how how everything went, but um, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I know that they're planning on doing a couple of uh, Dream Theater covers and Iron Maiden, and and I think they might do Queen's Reich as well. So um, I'm just really looking forward to having some uh, having some some micro brews and watching a, a, a local band uh, play some you know play some good old fashioned uh, prog rock and prog metal and. Uh, it should make for a good, 
a good Friday night. So uh, yeah, check out Stavo. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll have uh, one of them on the podcast at some point. Who knows? Nice. Look, looking forward to it. I'm curious to hear what they play. I remember one time going to see a Dream Theater cover band back in Brooklyn. I'm going back like over 15 years. And it was funny because they 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 were a good band and they gave it uh they gave it their best shot but you could definitely i mean it wasn't as clean as as, as dream theater of course but uh who is right so uh but it, nonetheless very fun to to hear that stuff and you know if you take it for what it is i think you're going to have a great time especially yeah you really got to have your you have your work cut out for you to cover dream theater especially some of those uh some of those keyboard parts um and some of the some of the drumming, um, oh, especially. Yeah. So I think about. I know I saw they were they posted a video of they were signing um, set lists. I guess that they were planning on giving away, and um, I caught uh, a couple of tracks. It looks like they're going to be doing six o'clock and uh, under glass moon, and I think I saw pull me under there as well. So um, that'll be cool. I mean, it's it, I, I I hate to like harp on it, but getting to see dream theater songs with somebody else singing them is uh, always, <laughs> always nice. So. I believe I'm going to see them on March 4th down here. So the, the dream theater, not Stavo. So I'll, I'll oh, report okay. back. Um, I, I'm going to pay $10 to see uh, probably a much better singer. I'm going to pay 15 <laughs> times that to see dream theater down here. So you, you can, you can, you can do the math. Um, Epica's Omega. Now let, let me say something at the outset. This album came out last year. It was on your top fifty list. I think it was pretty high up there. It, it was number two. It was number two. That's that's pretty high. Um, it was. It, I'm happy that you picked it. I don't. I wouldn't have been the album that I picked by them. But to, to my to my discredit, I, I never picked an album by them. So this is my fault. And I, I listened to it a bunch this week when they came out with this album, and it was released February 26th of last year. Uh, I. As always, when I hear a new Epic album, I have very high expectations. And every album meets those expectations. The problem for me last year was that when I heard this album, and I listened to it a few times, is that it didn't exceed my already exceptionally high expectations. And so I felt like it got lost in the shuffle. And I want to be clear about something. My top 50 lists are not the best 50 albums of 2021. If I was doing a best album of 2021, this would have been on the list and it would have been very high up there. But it wasn't my favorite albums of 2021, or at least that's what I was trying to convey, the the albums that I enjoyed the most last year. And the reason this album last year missed the mark was because, in my opinion, it didn't stand out compared to the other albums. And it felt like if I never heard this album, I'd be very happy with the other albums in their fantastic and deep discography. I mean, this was what their, their eighth full length album. I have the other seven. They're all amazing. And this is just as good, but no better than the rest in my opinion. And that is the reason why it didn't make the list. And if I sound defensive, it's probably because I am, but no <laughs> kidding aside, I really enjoyed, I, I enjoy the album and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about it because there are elements of this thing that are fantastic there are some other elements that fall a bit short for me, uh, but all in all, this is a very good, you know, a very good album by maybe the most consistent band out there next to Amorphous. Well, I was going to say it's going to be interesting to see if Amorphous makes it to your list next year. 
or if um, agreed uh, for that same reason. And it's funny because as as we're recording this, it comes out tomorrow. So I plan on listening to it tomorrow uh, just because I'm extremely curious for, for the same reason, really it's, it's two February releases in a row, which will place somewhere, but it just, we'll we'll see if it resonates because the last bunch of amorphous albums have, but I have high hopes. So we'll we'll see what happens, but let's get to it. As as I mentioned, uh, Omega came out February 26th of last year. Epica's lineup has pretty much been the same for the last bunch of albums. Uh, you know, obviously Simone Simmons, the the main singer, Mark Jansen doing the rhythm guitars and the and the male, you know, aggressive vocals, if you will. Uh, Isaac Cohen, Rob Vanderloo, and Arian on drums round out the lineup. They've been with the band for a while. Um, just one of the tightest live bands you'll ever see fantastic fantastic musicians and all of whom in their own right are just you know just so accomplished and they they the compositions that they come up with is is mind blowing i would argue that these these this band is really genre defining because when i think of symphonic metal i don't really think of nightwish anymore i i kind of think of epica as like the flag bearers yeah i mean it's it's hard to argue with that um I kind of, uh, it's interesting to me because even though they're kind of lumped in the same genre, I think that they're, especially lately, have really diverged, um, in their, in their sound. Um, I would also, I guess, even, they're all even like within Temptation in that, in that pile too, is another band that's kind of diverged. It's almost like all three have kind of gone their own way and kind of, uh, Epic has kind of forged their own path. I agree with you that, like, they haven't done a ton to kind of change up their uh, their their sound in general, but I think that what what they do, they do better than pretty much anybody. And um, for me, this album is no uh, no exception there, and it, it's it's honestly one of my favorite albums that they've ever done, and and I think uh, that's the reason why I, I chose it. I mean, part of it was just to um, needle you a little bit for not putting it on your list but also but i mean i enjoyed it that much that it was my second favorite album of last year so um i thought it was you know deserving of of discussion i think it was obviously very i mean you must have played it quite a bit if it if it wound up that high i don't know that you played it as much as the halloween but i, I would have to think that you you gave it a ton of spins if it ranked that high yeah i listened to it um Probably five or six times. Um, I listened to it a couple more times this week, and there were certain songs on this album that I listened to a lot. Um, uh, you know, certain songs I listened to 11, 12, 14, 16, 18. Times. I'm really curious so. to see if the songs that pop for me are the same, the same ones that kind of pop for you, uh, just because. You know there, are, I, there are no bad epica songs. The worst song on this album is a good song, but I think that there are some great songs on here, and I think that those are definitely worth mentioning. I'm curious to see if we have any overlap there. So let's get into it. The album, you know, kind of kicks off with a standard epica intro track, right? It's called Alpha Antiludium, and it's a Mark Jansen composition. Uh, and, and really, it's it's. I don't want to say standard Epica fare, but this is this is kind of who Epica is when they when they start off their albums with a real heavy orchestral piece that um, this particular one had a lot of woodwind instruments and it actually gave me a strong Nightwish vibe more than anything else. 
No, I thought you were going to say it gave you woodwind, but um, <laughs> that too. Yeah, I, I could, I could definitely see that. I mean, it, it's. I wouldn't even call it a, a typical epica intro. It's pretty much your typical symphonic power metal intro. Like it, you know, your yeah, it's uh, very whimsical cl- sounding. Yeah, like a classically based song that kind of lulls you into into a false sense of security, so that when the first full length track comes on, it kind of just like shocks you out of that and, and really just gets your, gets that blood flowing. And, and, and um, I think it, it does the job perfectly as it always does just gets you uh, gives you this kind of little like build up, build up, build up, uh, you know, in the Nightwish, um, in the Nightwish uh, comparison, it, it reminds me of um, whatever that track was that, that was before story time on, yes. on the Imaginarium album where it was just kind of like, you know, get you a nice little peaceful kind of classical style number and then bam, um, Abyss of Time countdown to Singularity comes on. And this song is just, just your, your typical epica rocker, like just, you know, fast paced, uh, uh, just fantastic uh, clean vocals from Simone, the, the, the back and forth beauty and the beast grunts with Mark, um, I mean, this is pretty much what I think people want from their their Epica albums, and Epica always tends to deliver. So, yeah, uh, you know, a was, couple of a things. A couple of things stood out about this. Number one, I, certainly a very catchy song, albeit a little bit straightforward. I think, uh, but a lot of the epic Epica like opening tracks. I don't mean the intro tracks, but like the first track. Uh, that's often what they do, and it's often the first single that is released. And th- this album was no different. This was like the first single that was released on the album. And if nobody had ever heard of Epica, this would be a perfect song to play for them because I think it encapsulates the band in, in, in a you know like a five minute nutshell. And you never skip Epica songs, but this one is is like you know this is just your typical uh, Epica intro track. But, and this is the key but for me, I felt like I had heard this song before. And now I'm not saying I heard the exact song before, but like their compositions, especially their opening tracks, this was very, very like reminiscent of other stuff. And I, I, I actually went back and I listened to a bunch of the older Epica stuff and I couldn't quite pick my finger on which track it was, even though I, like I said, I did try. But something about this song was a little bit of a miss because it's like I've heard this type of intro a thousand times before and it's good. But this particular track, I don't think resonated as much as others on the album because it was very, um, I don't want to say derivative, but I've, I'd heard it before in my opinion. Like I've, I, I know what the opening track is going to be before I even hear it. Yeah. I mean the opening track on like every Epica album is, is just this style of a fast paced, like just, really catchy kind of song it goes all the way back to their debut album the phantom agony when they opened up the album again with a um a a short uh intro piece facade of reality and then they go right into sensorium which is you know one of the all-time great um epica songs And, and then you know you scroll through the 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 albums and you know dance of fate and uh the obsessive devotion and resign to surrender. Like these are some a monopoly on truth from the oh, Requiem fantastic. for the Indifferent album. Like these are some really great tunes. Um, so um, I, I see. I, I would put this in the same uh, category as any of those other songs. I think it's uh, just as good. I think the reason I had 
played it so many times was because it was released in 2020 as a single. Um, so this, and like you said, since it was their first single, it was the song that, that I've been aware of the longest. So I've listened to it, uh, the most times. Um, they also released like this, um, acoustic version of it called Abyss O-Time, uh, which was released as a single, um, in 2020 as well. And that's kind of a neat little, um, acoustic version. I guess there's a, a second disc with, a handful of acoustic tracks I don't have. I don't have that, so I wasn't able to listen to that, but it does have this one tune on it, and it's pretty cool hearing it done in a totally different way. I like the way that Epica does these um, these bonus things sometimes um, Those, where you get to all hear... All arrangements. A, a, right, and just a, a totally different vibe. Um, I really like that they did a something similar on their holographic principle album. Um, that that one I did have. I must not have gotten what the iTunes, you know, the whatever it is, the the special edition or whatever, because I only have the twelve tracks here. Um, so I'll have to look into that. But um, uh, yeah, uh, check out the acoustic version if you get a chance. But um, I will say the next track, the skeleton key. Um it shouldn't really come to too much of a surprise because um, if you saw my, um, my best of 2021 playlist, this was the song that I chose uh, to represent this album. So um, it remains my favorite song on the album. So it's going to be my song of the week. A I love um, the way that it kind of kicks off with like this really eerie piano and then it slowly kind of builds into this um, really like this really like epic, like heavy mid mid paced kind of uh, tune. Uh, What did you think of this one? This one is the the, the phrase I would use is like hauntingly beautiful. Uh, The, the piano giving way to that like really heavy riff I thought is, was awesome. Um, I like the children's choir on this. I thought that that provided kind of a nice touch. It, it comes in towards the end. Not my favorite song though. And, and I have to be honest with you. It's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I think that there are songs later that I just liked better. This I thought was a little bit better than standard fare. So it's a good song. I don't think it's a great song. Um, but by the same token, I didn't, you know, I had no urge to skip it or anything like that. It's just, uh, Certain elements I loved. I didn't. I just didn't think that the verses themselves were outstanding, and the chorus is, is pretty decent. I think that Seal of Solomon, the next track, is m- a little bit repetitive, but otherwise, 
there's elements of this song that are just completely different from the prior song that are even better. This one has a very Middle Eastern-ish intro, which would remind me of a lot of the stuff that they would do on Consign to Oblivion. And um, it also reminded me of Mirath, which was interesting because their singer appears on this album a little bit later on. And I had no idea about that at the time. He actually does like vocal spots in Arabic, which I thought was really awesome. Uh this song is a little bit different insofar as Mark Jansen actually does the leads on a lot of these verses, which is kind of a nice touch compared to Simone, who usually does most of the leads. Uh, but when she comes in, she comes in exceptionally strong with her, her vocals kind of like soaring over the top. Uh, but the, the best part of the song to me is there's a fantastic, fantastic bridge towards the end, which is almost uplifting in a way. And I really thought that going into the instrumental section uh, was absolutely fantastic. And the end of the song is great too. So this, if, if I was going to listen to a song live, it might be Seal of Solomon. I, I really could, uh, I really could get into that. And, and it's funny because we had been contacted by one of our listeners, Brian, who had requested albums in the past and somebody we keep in contact with. He, I think, was a big fan of this one. And I can see why. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, another, you know, uh, just another like Epica style, Epica song as only Epica can do. Um, it's it's interesting. I'm glad that you mentioned like the soaring vocals from Simone because I feel like she does such a good job of in the skeleton key having kind of these like really light, um, you know, almost quiet vocals, and then at the same time she can come into a song like this and just completely belt out these amazing, um, you know, stronger uh, you know vocal lines. So like it just shows that her her range as a vocalist and. Uh, that's a big part of it. You know, we, we were, we were talking about how, um, when we were listening to the, um, the, the debut Falconer album about how like it kind of was missing that kind of, um, almost ballad or, or something just a little slower. And they, they, they kind of, um, they, they kind of got that with the bonus track, but I mean, Epica always, um, tries to like keep the tempo changing. And so there's always, you're always going to get your fast paced song, like abyss of time. You're going to get a slower paced song, like skeleton key. This one's a little bit more in the middle pace with seal Solomon. There's going to be another ballad type song that we'll talk about a little bit in, into this. But um, I do like that the pacing of a, of an Epica album is always kind of like a roller coaster um, in terms of the, the, um, the tempo of the songs. Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's because of that, that even though their albums are usually quite long and very dense, they keep your attention because of the, the ebbs and flows throughout. Um, as I was listening to this, and as we get into the next track, which is actually ironically the shortest track on the album, Gaia, it's, it's still nearly five minutes long. Um, I, I couldn't help but think to myself how dense these albums are and how many listens it takes for you to really appreciate what's going on. So listening to it kind of on repeat this week helped because I remembered it from last year. It wasn't that long ago, but like, I don't know that I was paying as close attention as I did this time around. So, uh, you know, it's funny. I'll be honest with you. Like there's been Epica albums in the past that I completely felt the same way you felt about this album where I enjoyed listening to it, but like it didn't sound like something that I was going to be like really memorable to me a couple of months later. I, for whatever reason, I got a completely different vibe from this one, but I mean, I have had that happen in the past. So I, I will definitely throw you a bone on that one. Um, uh, 
Uh, but I, I, I agree with the the density part. Like it, it also has to a lot to do with just the amount of personnel that's involved when you have you're dealing with an entire philharmonic orchestra and a choir and a children's choir. It's not just these uh six members of the band. There's just a lot of, of um just a lot of, of, of musicians in here. Yeah, and and despite that, the this particular album is mixed exceptionally well. I thought the mix was fantastic, and I kind of went that's back. Never, that's never an issue for this band. It, I it's mean, all not, but, but I got to be good. honest, going back to a lot of the other stuff, still a good mix, but this one I thought was just exceptionally well done, even compared to some of the albums from a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I go back to like the Quantum Enigma or Requiem for the Indifferent. This sounded much better than those and I thought at the time those albums sounded great, but this one, I think they just nailed it out of the park, which is fascinating because of all those elements that you mentioned with the children's choir and the orchestra and the backing vocalists, which we'll get to in a second because one of them really jumped for me in one of these tracks, which we'll get there. But Gaia, the, the next track, is another one that had another consign feel to me. I, I felt like I had heard this before. It, this reminded me of The Last Crusade, but just with more extra more orchestration and a little bit of a different pace to it. Not bad, but not my favorite track. I think the instrumental section is great, and one, it's one of my favorite guitar solos on the album. Um, but I think the second half of this song is really where it signs, shines, right? You got the heavy growls. Uh, it's definitely heavier than the first half. Uh, a very short but awesome bridge towards the end. Uh, not Not a bad track, just a little bit unremarkable compared to some of the other songs. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the the previous three songs better than this one, but I mean, um, I think it serves its purpose as as just uh, you know the next track in in the in the the proceedings. And uh, yeah, I don't really have too much more to add. I think it's a I think it's a, a good song, um, but uh, I, I liked um, the three songs before it a bit better. And what about Code of Life, the next track? Um, I'm listening to it just so i can remember it, remember it yeah okay so okay so this is a this is a track that um i definitely was listening to and was, th- was thinking mirath and and yes. and then i was of course i go to wikipedia to, to get a little information and sure enough i find out that uh, zahar zorgati from mirath is uh, you know did some work on this song so it kind of makes sense and and not just uh mirath but also, when I hear Middle Eastern stylings with, with Epica, it also makes me think of Mayan, which totally. is um, Mark Jansen's other band that is kind of like his um, more of like a, a symphonic death metal band instead of a symphonic power metal band. Um, uh, oddly enough, I happen to really enjoy Mayan um, in spite of all of the that the growly vocals, but um, the... the um, the the Middle Eastern kind of orchestrations throughout the song really could have come right off of a, a Mirath album. This song blew me away. And I don't know that I appreciated it as much like a year ago, right? But this time around, I loved it. And there's certain elements of it that really just hit home. I thought the verses were fantastic with Simone's vocals. And without even realizing it, there was one point where I was listening to it and I heard these backing vocals and I said to myself, that sounds like Marcella Bovio. And sure enough, it is her. She's on this disc and I had no idea. And I'm a huge fan of, of, of her work, both her solo material and, and a lot of the other bands she's been with. I, I couldn't believe that it was her 
because she sounds so great when you kind of add her behind uh, Simone's vocals. It just it just really resonated with me. I thought it was beautiful. Um, and then there's the one part towards the end where Mark starts singing and the song really speeds up and gets super heavy. Um, it has this like slow build quality, which I think is fantastic. It, it, this this is a fantastic addition uh, to the Epica catalog and quite frankly, could easily be my song of the week. I'm going to go with a different one, but if I was going to go with a second one, this would unquestionably be it. Yeah. And then on top of it all, like there's the children's choir in the back. Um, There's just so many layers to the song. Uh, I'm glad that you shown a spotlight on it because it's, it's, it's a really cool tune. And, and um, I I like, I do like, I just love like that middle Eastern kind of element. I think it just kind of really, makes a song stick out um, in, in a good way. So, uh, yeah, this was a really cool song. I feel like Gaia was almost like a cool-off song in between um, Seal of Solomon and, and, and Code of Life. It um, needed a rest hold, and this that, that was it. So there <laughs> right, you go. Yeah. Uh, next track is called Freedom, the Wolves Are Within, and this is another kind of like standard epica track. Uh, very orchestration-heavy at the beginning. Um, I, the way I would describe this, and, and I, I don't mean this insulting, but it's a little bit of like Epica paint by numbers. Like you kind of know what this track is as you're, as you're listening to it. And it's nothing outside the box, so to speak. Um, decent chorus and, and a pretty cool riff, which kind of permeates the verses, which is awesome. Uh, but the orchestration is what makes the track for me. And if it wasn't for the orchestration, I would probably be very lukewarm on the track. But it, it adds a nice element here, and I, I think it's it's fine. It's, this is Epica Paint by Numbers, like I said. Nothing nothing extraordinary for me. You may have a very different opinion. No, actually, I kind of agree with you. The, the beginning of the song, um, kind of with that like quiet chorus kind of thing that they do, that's definitely something that, that's something of a trope for the band um, to open up a track. And um, I, I, I actually... Um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good song. I don't think it's as good as the previous song, "Code of Life," but um, I, I enjoyed it. Just, you know, it, it, it's it's good stuff. All right, I, I, I can appreciate that. We we um, we get to the next track, and and this one is is no pun intended. This is the the epic track on the album. This is the only one that clocks in at well over 10 minutes. It's 13 and a half minutes long or, or just under. It's called Kingdom of Heaven Part 3. And and it's kind of a six-piece or a six-part, I don't know, symphony, if you will, uh, written by Mark Jansen and, and the rest of, of the rest of the band, the lyrics by Mark Jansen. This, this to me was my song of the week.
I could not believe the amount of effort and energy that went into this track. And, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, there was a lot to digest and I don't even know that I necessarily appreciated it after the first or second listen this week, but by the third listen, I, I couldn't wait for this track to get here because I think that they hit like, you know, I, I think they hit a home run with this one. Um, this is the, in, but, but by the time the intro starts and it's a little bit of a slow build here as well, but you can see that this is going to be a, a really special tune, heavy on the orchestration, uh, one of, if not the heaviest riff on the entire album. And it, it does slow start, but once that train leaves the station, you know that you are in for a phenomenal ride. And there are even parts here that actually reminded me of Scaretail by Nightwish, which I thought was very interesting um, right after the instrumental section. Uh, this this kind of goes off the rails at the end. It's very fast, very heavy, uh, but really, really cool. And basically everything I love about the band in, in one 13-minute track. So selfishly i want to listen to it again and that's why i'll make it my song of the week so there you go um yeah it's uh it's interesting because it kind of um it clocks in at the pretty almost the exact same amount of time that the original kingdom of heaven uh yes. the first part on um the design your universe album um it's they're only nine seconds different or so um yeah, th- this is th- this is just a um, it just is very typical of Epica to have a, a like a really epic um, track like this. Um, part two was on the Quantum Enigma album, and that was just shy of twelve minutes. So th- this trilogy, in and of itself, is about an EP's length of, of music um, or, or, or a 1960s full album. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of want to listen to all three songs, one after the other as kind of like a suite and just hear, hear them all together. Um, yeah. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. This is supposed to be the last part of the, the kingdom of heaven series. So part three is the, the final one, the anti-Diluvian universe. Um, I have little doubt they'll probably play all three back to back at some point, and that'll be awesome because yeah, they're, they're all on good. the at the during the Omega Alive show, uh, they played one followed by three. Um, I don't know why they skipped two, maybe because they wanted to play other songs. Um, but <laughs> um, I would definitely be kind of curious to hear them all but yeah this is a super epic song and and it, it's kind of become a trope for us to say like oh it was long but it didn't feel that long and well i'm just gonna say it again it was long but it doesn't feel long it's not at always, all it's it's it always it's always moving it always it's always something interesting happening and it never drags it's after it's over you need a come down song and i think that's what you get with the first true ballad on the first and only true ballad on the album which is rivers I am not a huge fan of this song and I can appreciate the fact that it was ultimately made a single and and I I certainly understand that like you needed a ballad at this point. The problem I have with it is not the song. It's just that like it falls a little bit flat when you compare it to some of the other songs that they've done like Solitary Ground, Tides of Time, Living a Lie, Once Upon a Nightmare and, and going back to the debut album Faint which I just absolutely love that track. The vocals on this are, are beautiful, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Simone's vocals. They are fantastic on this track. It's just that they've done so many great ballads. This was not one of their best, in my opinion. I, I like it a lot. I, I, I think it I think it, it goes right with all the other ones. Um, it, it's Simone's voice was, is just um, 
it's just made for a song like this where she's really the star here. Um, because I mean, this whole album, like we said, there's so much going on with orchestras and, and, and choral groups and children's choirs and, and whatever. And this one, it's really just kind of a piano and, and Simone and you really get to hear her shine. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like the most memorable ballad in the world, but I think that it's, um, I think it's a good follow up at you. Like you have this 13 minute, you know, plus epic song that you kind of need a bit of a come down from, I think, where you can just kind of, and again, this is, you know, what I said earlier about pacing. Um, this is just kind of a perfect follow up to, to that kind of track. Cause if you're not going to make that a 13 minute song, your last song, then you don't want to follow it up with another abyss of time kind of style song where you're just kind of like exhausting the listener with, like heavy and fast music. Um, so I think that in this sense, this song fits really well here. I think it's just a really beautifully done song. Um, I really like the, uh, the chorus a lot. Um, I think the chorus is kind of where the song shines the most, but, uh, yeah, I, I like this one. Um, I, I, it might, might not live up to maybe some of the other, um, like, mellower songs that you mentioned, but um, I, I don't think that it's it's it falls super short of, of any of them. I, I agree with you. It's it's well-placed and needed. And then they do the exact opposite, which is something they are known to do, and that's Synergize Manic Manifest, which, by the way, the other song that I think I don't uh, – that I kind of like overlooked the first time, this, this song is nearly seven minutes, and it is phenomenal. You had mentioned Mayan earlier. This was the song where I heard Mayan just of how heavy it was. And there are parts where they really kind of liberally use that double bass drum, which I thought was fantastic. Um, everything about this is, is, is really good. And I think it's kind of an underrated tune and everything from it, it's a bit simple, but it's got a solid chorus. And even the outro is is really cool and kind of a nice contrast to some of the other songs because other tracks on this album have a really slow build as they get heavier and faster. This one kind of slows down and gets a little bit like slower and softer, in my opinion. And I thought that that was a really nice contrast. This this would be a top three song on the album for me. Yeah, well said. Uh, another another good longer track. Um, but yeah, it's it just makes me think that like while while like yeah they're not really doing anything new um i mean and there's definitely like there's definitely some of that mayan flavor that's sprinkled in here and there because of course it's the same guy writing all these things but um it's just to me like and the same goes to with amorphous like you mentioned earlier it's like you know what like i I don't need all the bands i listen to to like change too much as long as they're keeping coming out with really solid albums that I enjoy. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with it being maybe a little derivative. Um, I, the formula I, is not broken. Let's be honest. No, I mean, this no, is a very good release, not. but, and, and you know what? It's funny because when a band like, um, Nightwish comes out with, uh, you know, their most recent album, a lot of people didn't like it because they kind of changed the formula up. So, I mean, sometimes myself included, sometimes that just doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. And and if they were deviating too far, I, I remember, it's funny, I remember when um, they released their second album and I remember people saying to themselves, Epica that is, because it, it was, Consign was just a little bit, I don't know, 
different than the first. And they, they were mad that they went with that like Middle Eastern flavor to it. And they were killing the band. And then they kind of deviated back away from that going forward. And that album of all of them, I think Constant gets like the least amount of love because of the fact that they was a little bit of a deviation there. I happen to love it. But, you know, when you look at these albums and you match them up, I think if you asked eight different people, you'd have eight different reactions as to which one is the best, which one is the quote unquote worst. Uh, that's just a testament to the strength of the band because they're, they are phenomenal. And I got to be honest, and I'll just say this here. I was going to say it at the end, but I think it's worth saying here. This is a band that I don't listen to all that much because I feel like it's almost a chore. It's just there's so much there. But every single time I listen to this band, I realize how fantastic they are and, and really why they are the leaders in the genre as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I, get, I feel like at this point, and I know I've said this to you before, that like they've, they're kind of their own genre because I just think that like nobody else does the Epica style as good as Epica does. And, and I don't think that Within Temptations sound is anywhere near this nowadays. No, not and, even close. And Nightwish is also very, I feel like Nightwish has definitely gone more the folk route. Um, whereas Epica kind of is still really uh, heavily, cl- like classically heavily influenced as well as an album like this that has a lot of M- Middle Eastern vibes to it. Um I don't know. There's so many bands that I think try to be like Epica and it's like, you know, we appreciate the, the effort, but, um, there's only, no, no, I I think that's well said there. There is only one and there's a reason why they're at the top of the top of the heap, if you will. Um, just kind of finishing up the album for a second, the, 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 Second to last track is called Twilight Reverie, uh, the hypnagogic state. This, this is kind of standard epic affair for me. It's really nothing too extraordinary about this track. Uh, touch slower in pace, not a ballad by any means, but a, a touch slower. Uh, the chorus is much heavier than the verses. And again, it's one of those like dichotomy things that they have going on. The spoken word part ruins it for me a little bit. I think it's a kind of cheesy, but. This track is fine. It's it's it, it has a place on the album, but I think it's good where it is, kind of towards the end. Yeah, um, the spoken word part is actually done by uh, Vicky Siracus from The Agonist. Um, she was the the um, she was the follow up to Elisa uh, White Gloves, who we mentioned I think last week or the week before when we were talking about Arch Enemy. Um, she's another one of those vocalists who does such a great job of um, alternating between clean and, and growls, um, which you don't see a lot with, with female vocal vocalists, um, you know, uh, obviously seven spires comes to mind, Adrian Cohen. Um, but I mean, uh, it was kind of interesting. It's always funny to me when you, they, you bring somebody on like that with that kind of name value and then they just do like a spoken word thing. It almost reminds me of when, Avantasia like was promoting their first album and they're like, Timo Tolki is going to be on. I'm like, Oh wow. Cool. And then like, it's, he's just the voice of the tower. Talk about anticlimactic. I'm yeah, looking for dream like, space, but yeah. Cause it's like, and, and the only time I think I ever heard Timo Tolki do spe- like a speaking word thing was when he was like the voice of Nostradamus in the vision song. So like basically what uh, that came down to is that, 
the voice of the tower and the voice of Nostradamus sounded like the same person. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, that was your I, takeaway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I'm, it's cool that Vicky was a part of this, but it would have been nice to hear her sing. To- totally. Uh, but alas, again, a decent track. I don't think it's anything to write home about. I think the final track, Omega Sovereign of the Sun Spheres, is a very good closing track. Kind of similar to a lot of other Epica closing tracks, just like it kind of this over the top, you know, put a bow on it type of thing. Um, I don't really have much to say about this other than I thought the guitar work was fantastic. The band just kind of shows you how tight they are on this track. And it's, you can see it's just a well-oiled machine. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, on the next tour, they kind of close the set, not, not the encore, but kind of close the set with that track because it's just a really tight closing track. Uh, for 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 a good album, you know, I think that's kind of the best way to say it. Yeah, they um they actually did finish the Omega Live show with this song. Oh, there you go. Um, I have to say, the beginning of the song, the orchestrations. I swear to God, it reminded me so much of like a, like a soundtrack to the Avengers or one of the Marvel movies. It was just like that really kind of almost epic superhero kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before it gets into the 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 metal meat and potatoes, but um. I like this a lot as the last song. It's another one of uh, the longer tracks. It's the second longest uh, on the album, but um, I thought it was a good way to end. This is a this is a, a meaty piece of uh, piece of album. This is a a seventy minute album, which is, is you know can be kind of daunting, especially with a power metal album. Does anyone really want to listen to seventy minutes of, of power metal? Well. I do, and, and I, think they did, I think they did a pretty, a pretty damn good job of, of um, keeping it interesting and different enough throughout. Maybe not uh, changing the epica formula much, but at least the album itself um, kind of ebbs and flows and has a, a roller coaster of of, of uh, different types of tempos and styles. So um, I just thought this was really like a, a, a symphonic. Um, a real symphonic masterpiece, uh, start to finish. And, um, you know, I, I will say that like when I first listened to it, when it came out last year in February, it was one of those albums that I can just continually went back to throughout the year, uh, which I can't say about a ton of albums that came out last year. I mean, obviously the Halloween album, which was both of our number ones, but, um, this was one of the ones I went back to and listened to the most and, and, uh, honestly, if it wasn't for Halloween, this would have been probably my favorite album of last year. I just liked it that much. I I appreciate that. I, I liked it more this time around than I did last year, for sure. I don't really think it pays to say, oh, you know, in retrospect, it would have been on my top 50. Because at the end of the day, if I was to play an Epica album now, I'd probably go pick a different one. But that's just because they're all so good. I try to play them all, you know, on occasion. Uh, again, I don't listen to them that much because it's it's just so dense and I'm probably an idiot for it because I love their music. But alas, here we are. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. To me, this is like a 7.75. I can't give it an 8. I, I don't think it's quite there because I've heard a lot of this before, but it's too good to be a 7.5. I, I, I think that would almost be insulting to the album. So while it's not my favorite album and it probably would not make the top 50 list again or it would be coming in at, you know at a you know 48 or something like that um it's not because the quality of the music is bad it's not it's fantastic it's just that like i've heard them do this before and i was just kind of 
enjoying other things a little bit more because it was either new or different or whatever. Um, so it, that's the reason I give it that score. Um, I trust you'll be a little bit higher than that. Uh, yes, I gave it a 7.8. There you go. Um, <laughs> no, uh, honestly, this was a, a 9.0 for me. Um, I had given, um, when we reviewed the Halloween uh, self-titled album, I'd given that a 9.5. And so um, being that that was number one and this is number two, makes I think sense. it only makes sense that this would be slightly beneath, uh, but not by much. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as a symphonic power metal album goes, this is pretty much what I'm looking for. Um, just incredible orchestrations, fantastic musicianship, great, uh, great, or uh, great choirs, great children's choirs, uh, cool guest spots. Um, and, and like you mentioned, like a, a really impeccable mix. Um, and just like heavy, you know, heavy guitars and heavy uh, death vocals, but also beautiful, um, you know, beautiful high vocals from, from Simone. Like there's just, it's just, uh, it's like, for me, like this is my brand. This is like one of my brand of, of music, um, you know, next to like the, the, the Halloween power metal style or the, the, the power quest kind of a bit of a more of the happier power metal style, like this symphonic power metal. Um, I just think that, um, Epica really is at the top of the, the game. Um, as far as if you're going to lump them into that genre, which, like I said, they're they're their own genre as far as I'm concerned. Epic of metal. But, yeah, there you go. And some of the nicest people you will ever, ever meet. So uh, I think that that goes a long way as well. I've had the pleasure to meet some of them on multiple occasions, and I, I just can't say enough nice things about them. Um, that I Oh, and, was, and a fantastic live band. Oh, also. God, yeah. I, they're one of the last bands I saw. Um, prior to the shutdown in 2020, I saw them on 70,000 tons and I'd seen them live probably a half dozen times before that, uh, just as tight as they are on the album. It's, it's almost incredible that they're able to pull it off given the density of the sound and all the things that are going on. I hope that they, um, hope they do one more shot with Prague power before the festival kind of rides into the sunset. Cause, um, I think they've played the festival twice now, um, most recently, they were headliners, um, but it's it, it's been a good while since then. That was that was kind of a while back. It, it has been, and I have no doubt that they are still heavily on the radar. I think it's a matter of timing and you know other other things as well. But like they're definitely on the radar, and I they they deserve to headline the show because they are you know like you said they're they're the epitome of what they do. So you know here here's hope, and I would definitely enjoy that. Uh, but I think that'll put a nice bow on Epica for now. I think we'll obviously do another one of their albums in the future. Couple of, uh, a couple of news items, which I think are interesting and worth noting. The Gathering, uh, a band that was actually announced for Prog Power before they had to bow out, have released their second single, um, for their upcoming album, which is due out, um, it's called Beautiful Distortion. It's going to come out in April. Unbeknownst to me, they came out with a single last year, uh, and, this was, I guess, in October. They came out with a second single um, earlier this week. I am not a huge fan of the band, or at least I'm not a huge fan of the entire discography. I don't know it that well. But from the, what I heard from these two singles, I'm curious about this. I think it has the makings of a potentially really good album. I, I would definitely be curious. I kind of, um, I kind of like lost my gathering street cred after. Um, after um, 
uh, what's her name, left the Anike. band. Anike, Anike left the band. Um, but uh, I've been told that their, you know, their material remains quite good, even though um, she's no longer with the band. So yeah, I'd be curious to to hear it as well. Um, I, I'm not nearly as as well versed in the band as um, I would like to be. Um, I I love their first, or I don't know if it's even their first album. It's the earliest album I have, Mandy Lion. I thought that was a really good good album. And um, a lot of people say that's kind of their best. That's probably something we should do on the on the podcast eventually. Uh, but definitely, I think worth checking the new one out when it when it drops in a couple of months. Um, and then in a completely different vein. German Thrasher's destruction. The uh, the brothers of the you know the kind of like the counterparts to Creator over there in Germany have just announced a U.S. tour for the spring, along with every other band that's coming over in the spring. It, this one starts in Brooklyn on April 28th. It goes all the way out west and then ultimately comes back uh, to Maryland on May 29th. I really enjoyed their last couple of releases. I would have loved to have gone to this show, but unfortunately I have a conflict. So I'm hoping that uh, they come back either later in the year or do a second leg next year. But these guys are very, very tight. And if you like thrash metal, I don't have to tell you how, how good destruction is. So that's something to uh, keep on, on the radar in the spring. And uh, another band that's touring in the spring has been uh, dropped off a tour and been replaced. Do you want to talk about that for a bit? Yeah, unfortunately, Battle Beast uh, was set to be the uh, the direct support for Dragon Force on their North American tour uh, for for this year. Uh, they had to drop out. They were replaced by Firewind, so um, that they joined Visions of Atlantis and Seven Spires on on what is still a very strong bill. Um, if you know, I I've yet to see uh, Visions of Atlantis live, which is something I'd really um, like to do. Um, so. Yeah, that's a it's a it's a strong bill. It's nice when uh, a band like Dragon Force gets like a nice uh, a nice lineup of some name of name bands instead of kind of having your run of the mill local opener that that a lot of the people unfortunately just aren't into and they're just kind of like tapping their foot waiting for the the main <laughs> event so to speak and and I think that when you have a lineup like this you you're gonna get like people that are gonna be excited about seeing. Seven Spires and Visions of Atlantis and Firewind because it's just kind of in that same area of music. So um, yeah, definitely. And, and Battle Beast will be back. I have no doubt at all about that. I, I know they have heavy, heavy touring plans in the future. So I think it's just a matter of time there. Um, you know, I was looking at the calendar last week. We did the request this week. Obviously, your album. I get to choose one album this month, so I'm going to try to make it count. Um, it's it's funny. I was looking back at my notes and and there was an artist that I've been wanting to do for the longest time but much like Epica it was very difficult for me to choose one particular album from this artist and originally I was going to go with his with something from his story what was that is it Isan uh, no no that's a that's <laughs> a very good guess because this guy has recorded with Isan. So it's very, 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 very astute guess. Uh, the, the person I was thinking of was Devin Townsend. And I was going to do something from his solo career, but I didn't know, quite know what to choose. And then I went back and I was looking and I saw that arguably the best, or at least the, that most heralded strapping young lad album, City, was recorded, 20, recorded and released on February 11th, 1997. So we are just at a 25-year anniversary point for the Strapping Young Lad album, which a lot of people think is 
maybe his finest work, uh, or certainly his finest work with, with strapping. So I know you know some of the solo material, and it is fantastic. You have never heard Strapping Young Lad, if I'm not mistaken. And if you have, I've never heard you say a word about them. So we are going to do City by Strapping Young Lad next week. Yeah, I know very little by the band. So uh, it's actually kind of interesting because now you just reminded me that it's pretty much been 25 years that we started listening to kind of more yes. obscure metal stuff. So um, yes. So yeah, we'll celebrate ourselves too. And yeah, you pat ourselves on the and back. Us and Heavy Debbie next and, week. <laughs> and 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 let me tell you something. This album is very heavy. Uh, there there are there. I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this because uh, it, it, it's Devin. There's there's no there's no uh, ifs ands or buts about that. But it is a little bit different. And by a little bit, I mean a lot different than his solo material. This is one of the heaviest albums I've ever heard. So I think you'll I think you'll appreciate parts of it. I think you'll scratch your head at others, and I look forward to talking about it next week. I just one question: Does Simone do any vocals on it? Um, no, no, unfortunately, she doesn't. And and as as we listen to "Oh My Fucking God," uh, you'll you'll see why very very soon. So get 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 ready, put your seatbelt on, strap in, and, and get ready to go on a ride with uh, with Heavy Debbie. Fantastic! That's, I, uh, uh, I I'm glad that we'll, we'll get to uh, do something with him because Devin was always was definitely a late bloomer for me because um, uh, you know I, it just went it went over my head when I was younger, and then as I've gotten older and and Knops, you know, being a big fan, he kind of sucked me back into um, paying more attention, and I've, I've definitely learned to appreciate more of that wacky, uh, that wacky kind of style that Devin's known for. So, strap in, my friend, strap in. You're about to go on a ride. I uh, look forward to talking about this next week. You'll get to choose one more, and then that'll take us into March, and we've got a nice request lined up for then as well. So. Thanks to everyone for listening. We appreciate it. We look forward to uh, engaging with you during the week. And uh, Chris, enjoy enjoy the show tomorrow night, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, buddy. Take it easy. Take care. <laughs>